Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. We're a little further removed than normal, Joe. Um, but <laughs> well, I also you get... have lovely, lovely drapes there behind you, Bruce. I mean, you really <laughs> need to. You're not happy with my choice of hotel rooms. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I will leave that one there, and I will turn to the ongoing discussion we've been having about the forces at work in the global economy, powerful forces pushing up inflation, uh, powerful forces that are placing a drag in the aftermath of the Russian invasion, and a lot of other things underneath the surface which we're reasonably positive about. But let's maybe frame the conversation in the context of the two big data releases this week. One is we had a, another very strong U.S. employment report with strong gains in jobs, revisions, and perhaps as notable as anything, a two-tick move down in the unemployment rate to 3.6%. At the same time, we had a surge in the March inflation report in the uh, euro area with inflation up more than 1.5% on the month, pushing the year-ago number all the way up to 7.5%. These are both pretty remarkable reports, and they, they I think, kind of span the, the issues that we're dealing with here. So... Joe, why don't you give us your sense of processing of this week as we as we end it after these reports and of course a whole bunch of other things that we're having to think about. Well, I think as we put the the global outlook together, we have a, a the near term shocks uh, which are are numerous uh, from the Russia invasion of of Ukraine, the Omicron drag, China particularly now dealing with Omicron potential supply chain bottlenecks there, the just broad inflation shock in the near term that's going to be weighing on purchasing power, um, and then we weigh that against a, a global economy that has a tremendous number of fundamental supports, and you know we talk about fundamental supports all the time for you know as many years as I've been here, but I. I I will say the, the it's if you were just to line up the positives, you you could look for a pretty pretty healthy backdrop from the household to the corporate sector to easy monetary policy to fiscal policy, which is a bit of a drag, but not really for this stage in the cycle. And all of that set would have was setting us up for a very strong year. But these shocks are holding us back, so we're putting all this together. The purchasing power shock uh, is is evident in as you noted the most evident in in Europe. And in fact, I would say that's where you're kind of feeling the biggest source of the, the the downside shocks from Russia, Ukraine, weighing on the region, sentiment in the region, and then hitting inflation very hard. Inflation is everywhere, so I don't want to lose sight of that. But boy, it wasn't just the numbers you noted, but it was also a, a, a one and a half percentage point miss above our already elevated expectations. And that's going to do a lot of damage to, to purchasing power in Europe, but purchasing power everywhere. And the question is whether that's going to be offset by the strong labor income growth we're getting from strong labor markets. And again, that's not just a U.S. story. Strong labor markets are everywhere. So the process is weighing these supports against these drags. And our forecast is that we get through this, but we have to get through it. And I think it's going to be a challenging uh, a challenging few, few months here. So we say we have to get through that. And um, in that context, uh... You know, should we feel better this week about the news in terms of what we've had? You know, the other thing we had was a, a reasonably worrisome signal coming from the PMI report in manufacturing as well. And there's a, the other element in this story, which we haven't articulated yet, but is definitely in our minds, is the concerns about China, the concerns about uh, COVID in Asia, and particularly in China as a 
as not only a drag on China demand, but also as another leg of uh, supply chain pressures that might be uh, working to weigh on global manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the PMIs actually kind of highlighted some of the things we're, we're grappling with right now. And that is, you, you'd saw certainly globally um, a, a, a leg down in the March. This was our first kind of, I guess I would call it tier one indicators. It is just a survey. It's not actual activity, but it is a kind of a really top-notch survey and it's the first one we're getting post post invasion and it took a big step down now that might uh, um, kind of contrast with some of the more positive news we were getting when we got the flash pmis and what happened here is asia and em in general came out much weaker than we thought you also had some downward revisions to the to the european numbers and what you're left with is a is a set of pmis that are highlighting a varied hit from these shocks, right? And so China is, it seems to be slowing quite a bit from the COVID shock. Europe is kind of, you know, ground zero for the Russia-Ukraine invasion. And the U.S. did is doing quite well in these surveys. And, you know, here we well, go. Well, be careful. careful. They're doing well in the PMIs. The ISM manufacturing survey did take a step down this week, too. So Yeah, we, we stand uh, by our PMIs, more... Bruce. Uh, I... <laughs> Okay. You can't argue with that, can you? <laughs> Go on. Well, no. So, I mean, I think the point, though, is, yeah, fair, fair enough. And it, not all the, the data is great. And, and I'd point out consumer sentiment is certainly falling everywhere, including including the U.S. And the inflation hit is there. But what we have here is Europe, which is getting very hard, uh, hit hard, and China, which is is a source of concern for supply chain bottlenecks. And the question is, how resilient will the U.S. be? How resilient will the global economy through be through these these near term shocks? Well, uh, certainly from the perspective of the central bank community, and and most notably the Fed, um, there doesn't seem to be that much. Uh, uh, concern about the the negative uh, side of this at this point, which is I think why you see like most of our chats with clients are are about that right. Looking through this near term headwind, and I'll be the first to admit, like I I generally talk kind of a, a punchy outlook, but that all presumes we get through this near term kind of uh, these these struggles that we're gonna we have to to grapple with. But beyond that, yeah, central banks are looking through this and it's it's you know more and more kind of normalization. We even changed our forecast for for Europe this week, looking for an earlier start there, adding more hikes to to both the Bank of England and ECB. Well let's start with the change in the Fed call this week. So we moved to put two fifties in Really, I think the right way to look at what we've done is we've basically uh, come to the forecast that the Fed is going to get to neutral before the end of the year. So they'll get to a 250 policy rate. And to get there, they have to do at least a couple of uh, 50s on the on the path. But as you say, it's not just the U.S. I mean, I think the interesting thing about the ECB is, of course, they're more uh, concerned about the downside growth risk, but they also have a little more room for patience here. They weren't really planning on doing anything till late in the year. But what we've done effectively is, is say, as you as you you know have mentioned already, conditional on getting through this, we can actually see them moving earlier, and we now have them beginning the process in September. Yeah, Europe is Europe is tough, right? Because they're all they're seeing the biggest inflation surprise, which cuts in both directions, right? On the one hand. 
it's going to hit growth a lot more now. And and we did lower our growth forecast for the second quarter uh, in the euro area this week on, on the back of that. But at the same time, the inflation pressures are getting tough to ignore from a central bank perspective. The core readings are are strong. And and yeah, they, they have a little bit more runway in the sense that they're further behind in the recovery. But you are seeing in wage pressures there. Labor markets are certainly very tight. And uh, there's just a sense that the gravitational pull of the Fed is going to you know combine with the macro backdrop and and force them to move quicker than I think what they had initially intended. And we should at least make mention of the fact that the BOJ came in this week. It did defend its YCC target. It it does not feel um, the same pressure, uh, and it does not feel the same pressure against the backdrop of what is continued downward pressure on the yen. So these divergences are having impact on the yen. They're not, at least at this point, and, and our economists don't think it's going to come anytime soon, uh, putting pressure on the uh, the BOJ, either because of rising global bond yields or because of a falling yen, to really reconsider its uh, its views there. So let me just ask you, as we end this, in terms of thinking about um, you know, how much risk do we have in the near term on growth? Uh, how worried are you that we could be sitting here in three months and having to to not just take down the forecast for the second quarter, but really reconsider the view for the second half of the year and beyond. How, where's your level of concern at this point? Boy, Bruce, as I'm really conflicted here just because I the as I started this, I think when I look at the set of fundamentals, I don't know the last time I would have said I felt this strong about the, the kind of supports for growth. Uh, and yet, that's coming against a backdrop of inflation numbers that are just really out, out of this world. Now, what has been supporting this, and, and we, we we kind of been talking about this, we'll be talking about it next week more, is just the 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 use of the saving rate to, to kind of activate that excess saving in a way that I think was largely an upside risk in our forecast for, for really most of the past year is now being a part of our baseline forecast. And you can see the saving rate coming down rapidly. And that that's an important uh, an important lever that's being used. I do think there's more room to run on that. Probably the biggest kind of that the biggest thing that could short circuit that would be a, the confidence and and you know sentiment um and that has fallen sharply. So uh, you know, particularly in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So that that is a source of concern. But I guess I'm still pretty. I have a decent amount of conviction that uh, think that we get through this, and then once we do, then boy, we're really we're really off to the races. So I, I think that's what sets you up for even more aggressive central bank moves than what our forecasts are. And, and people watching you and me know that we're probably on the bit more hawkish side that we need to get well above neutral at some point here. Yeah, well, we're not quite off to the races yet, and let's uh, sort of recognize we've got a test to get through here in the next two, three months. Uh, hopefully, we will get through it, so then we can worry about inflation and and central banks doing too much and throwing us into recession. So, uh, <laughs> lots of that, great things to talk about. <laughs> let's just look forward to what we're going to be doom and gloom, doom three, and gloom, <laughs> three or six months' time. Yeah. So on that on that bright note. Let's uh, end it there. Thanks, everybody, and hope that we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.